you know, you see the light bulb click. You see it, you know, you see in their eyes that, you know, something just, you know, took a, you know, resonated with them. And that's, and that's what we're looking for. And when that happens, you know, it, it's like, it's like your kid, you know, you just, you know, it's just, you know, you're happy for their accomplishment. It's time for Class Racing Today, the podcast for the NHRA Class Racing fan. Welcome back to Class Racing Today, classracingtoday.com on the interweb, Class Racing Today across the social medias, Facebook uh, and Instagram. It is a blustery one here in South Dakota, so much so that uh, I'm the only one in studio today because Brian apparently is, I will say snowed in, but he got blown into his house. Um, <clears throat> Brian, how are you? This episode actually brought to you by, um, sorry, let me get my, my sheet up. Kenwood Welding and Metalizing. Kenwood Welding and Metalizing has been offering quality welding services for all processes and all materials since 1932. Uh, you can give them a call, 410-686-3760. Thanks for your support. Uh, also, we had some more donations come in. John Jameson sent us a donation. Thank you so much for your support. Um, <clears throat> it is winter. Brian, how you doing today? Well, I kind of... Uh... I'm coming today with a heavy heart. Um, Robert, I need to apologize to you. Oh. I, uh, you know, people really look up to us. They like our show. We're unifying, you know, stock, super stock drivers. I mean, we're literally the driving force in our field right now. And I got caught with kind of a major violation. I'm banned until... February 2nd from class racer. I posted two classified ads within 10 days and now I'm banned. <laughs> I can't log in. I just, man, they really dropped the hammer on me and I just want to apologize to our, all of our listeners that I've been done something wrong and yeah, now I'm being reprimanded because of it. So can you believe that or what? No, you should have just pleaded ignorance and insanity. One of them <laughs> would get. Stopped. <laughs> I didn't even get a chance. I guess they figured we're, uh, you know, we should know better since we're powers of B. So what did you post? Like, uh, two classified ads, my race pack and one, and then all my LS engine parts and another yep, two posts within 10 days. Bam. I'm out for 30 days. Did you put it in the right, like classified spot or did you put it in like the stock super stock forum? No, I put it in the classified spot, but it was two ads posted within 10 days. I oh. guess I should have read the rules first, but <laughs> I have a lot of students just like you. You don't read directions. <laughs> I'm pretty. Oh, well. I'm kind of a professional shortcut follower. I think we can petition to uh, Class Racer and and maybe see. Uh, we'll we'll have to get on that. You got to you got to turn on the charm. <laughs> don't forget if you're watching live on Facebook, you can also send stars uh, to help support the show that way as well. All right. Well, I, I forgive you. Because it has nothing to do with me. But uh, <clears throat> I'll take that race pack if the price is right. In addition to that, I want to make an announcement. Does everybody know that uh, Lonnie Grimm is doing a tech talk today, 3 p.m. Eastern time, streaming live on NHRA.com? He's doing it with Brian Loans. Apparently, it's this new segment they're working on. I feel like you and I are trendsetters. Like, every, like everything we do seems to be getting picked up, you know? 
driver interviews has gotten picked up and uh it seems to be happening more at nhra events we get certain guests on uh nhra starts bringing them on uh i don't know man are we are we uh are we like are, are we being mimicked here or what i just like to think that we're ahead of our time and uh we probably could trademark it and try to go after you know like uh jerry emmons you know after our great interview we did was on sportsman drag racer or whatever luke luke and jed's podcast was the sportsman drag racer and i'm glad we set the model because jerry really did a pretty good job after we trained him on our podcast and he did it awesome on that one too but our next guest today you know he's going to get picked up so i just want to say now that i want to be his agent so if you want to book him you can call me and we'll give him permission to come on your podcast because he's going to go huge after this we only charge a modest gratuity for that too. Just a finder's fee. Finder's fee. Yep. So our guest today is a former two-time world champion and stock eliminator. He won the NHRA World Championship in stock in 2004 and again in 2008. He still competes in stock eliminator today in a super cool 1973 Buick Apollo in J&K stock automatic, which we will talk to him about. And on top of all that, he runs a driving school. So he is a class racer that also operates a driving school for uh, all of us to step our games up and improve a little bit, which we are also going to talk to him about today and see if we can pick his brain a little bit. Let's welcome Mr. Lee Zane. Lee, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great today. How is everybody? Excellent. We thank you for coming on and spending some time with us today. And uh, we look forward to, you know, getting to know you a little bit and um learning something educating the listeners and myself and brian I, I like to learn anything i can whenever i get the opportunity so uh happy to have you on no it's a uh, it's a pleasure to be here and uh you know even uh you know i've been at this i've been racing since uh, 1995 so i'm uh 26 years into uh this racing field 2001 started in uh nhra class and uh done a little bit of everything since that time but uh but even to this day i'm still learning there's there's always more to learn there's always uh you know you know when we tell people you know you open up one door and it's then it's uh it's a room full of other doors and then it just it just keeps spreading out it's um you know there is uh there's no limit to what you can bring in i'm always trying to trying to find something or grab that little extra edge grab an extra thousand grab a you know an extra hundredth in et it's something we always strive for and you you can't give up on it or you're going to get fast. Now the competition today is is absolutely fierce and um you're not really making it easy on yourself. Let's talk about this Buick Apollo. So you know, 26 years in like you said to me I figured you'd be in, you know, probably some kind of like a Copa or some nice 9 or 10 second car chasing everybody down, patting your stats a little bit. Why do you choose a J stock automatic Buick Apollo? And after you tell us why you choose it, let's talk about the Apollo and tell us about the combo. Sure. Well, it uh, it actually just came down to a matter of um, uh, cost effectiveness to get into stock eliminator back in 2001. We were actually looking at a uh, Chevelle and a, a, a deal kind of fell through. But looking back on it now, it was actually uh, kind of a blessing that it did not happen. Uh, just by how hard the Chevelle was in that that particular class, it was an H stock automatic, uh, small block powered. It really was 
you know, it was it would have got us in the door, but it was really going to be a tough combination to work with. So we found this this uh, Apollo through uh, Tommy Pettigrew in uh, Division Three, and the price was right. The you know it was basically ready to go, and you know, and as it turned out, we still had to do a little bit of work to get it uh, to get it to where we were happy with it and get it uh, really under the index scheme. When we first got it, it, it wasn't there. But we worked on it as hard as we could, and and um, you know, so that was kind of the, the the start of it. And we went to our first event, and we finally got the car under the index. You know, we uh, we changed a few things to kind of get there. And and our last time shot, we was a twelve seventy five index at the time in J Stock Automatic. And I think we went like eleven or twelve fifty nine. So we're about a tenth and a half under. But on that last time run, you would have thought we won the event. It was the uh, it was just like, wow, okay, we did it. And now I can enter the stocks of the stock combo that they're having at the open. So, you know, so my brother runs to the tower, gets me entered in the open, and five hours later, I'm standing in the winter circle. So that was, uh, you know, first day under the index, and, uh, you know, now I'm sucking in some money for the car already. And so then that year, like, you know, I said in the very beginning when we, we did kind of a, an opening introduction with you guys, the that year we were we were looking at staying local. We we're you know being in Southern Jersey, you know we can hit a lot of tracks fairly close. So we're looking you know English Town, Echo, Maple Grove, Cecil, you know for the most part not a not a bad deal, and we can get a few races at those. So I end up going to Delmar, runner up. Uh, two races later, I win Lebanon Valley up in New York. Uh, a couple races later, you know I'm going rounds and. So we made a decision going into Englishtown that if I can get at least a semi or better, it's probably worth chasing something and uh, going after a top 10 and, and who knows. And so at Englishtown, I, I uh, go into that race with that mindset and I ended up winning Englishtown. So now I'm loading up a, you know, a pickup truck and an open trailer with the Apollo and, uh, you know, you know, heading for the uh, city of lights, I guess uh, we're heading to Vegas and, uh, you know, I had a shot at the championship and, you know, ended up uh, finishing number seven in the country that year. Uh, you know, it was, um, you know, due to, uh, you know, a mishap, you know, with an intake violation, there was a, uh, like a, a grind mark inside the intake. So we had to claim a zero for one of our events out of, uh, out of Maple Grove, you know, and it was a learning process. It was there when we bought the car. We had no idea. We didn't know what it was, but they didn't like it. So whatever, it really didn't enhance anything, but, uh, you know, I was four tenths under. So here, you know, here it is. You know, I'm not a rocket ship by any means, and uh, I wasn't winning any heads up races. But um, so we move on. But like I said, it, you know, in that year, you actually had to claim a zero as one of your best national events. So my three out of my six, one of them had to be a zero. So by finishing fourth in the country, they took my next, you know, worst one, which was a second rounder, because again, we didn't do many. And, um, you know, so they pulled 44 and saw me enough to knock me down to seventh. But either way, you know, seventh in the country, I was uh, extremely pleased with the uh, with that season. And, uh, you know, from there, it kind of that kick started me big time, you know, going, you know, the next season, I ended up doing 15 national events along with all the divisionals, bracket racing where I could here and there. And, you know, because we were loaded, loaded with a silver card. So we're racing for 40 bucks a, a week, you know, at a national event, you know, that, uh, at that time, that's all the insurance was, and the silver card got us in cheap. So, uh, so we went after it, and uh, that was the start of it. That's uh, that's, that's why it why it kind of happened. It was just uh, 
wasn't really a pick. My brother sent me the uh, the information. He says, you know, there's this uh, Buick Apollo. It's a you know good looking car. And um, I'm like, well, what's a Buick Apollo? I have no idea. You know, I, I didn't I didn't know. And then you know, you know, I've since learned a lot about them. And and really, it's a very good combination. And you know, I'm glad we did it this way for where my mechanical expertise was at the time. It it made it easy. You know, especially with uh, any teardowns or anything like that, you know, you know, I always, you know, my, you know, back then my main problem was I could never put the distributor back in correctly. So with a small block Chevy, now I got to pull the distributor for a heads up with the Buick, you know, or not for a heads up before a teardown. But in the Buick, it's in the front cover. I didn't have to touch it. So I let my engine builder set everything and, you know, we run all year, just, you know, let it go. And, but the teardowns are effortless. So that's it. That was kind of the joke is like now I didn't have to deal with that. It's just uh, pull the head off, pull the intake off, unbolt, bolt back on, you know, and send it. Let's go. That's cool. And I didn't know what a Buick Apollo was until I saw you driving one. So <laughs> <laughs> that car uh, kind of educated both of us. So that, that's a cool car. Um, what It has a 350 cubic inch motor, correct? That's correct. Yeah. It's, what's, uh, what's the combo and horsepower rating? Uh, so 175 is the uh, uh, advertised horsepower. 266 is the NHRA horsepower on it. So 175, 266, uh, 350. Uh, with a, you know, I got, a, I run a turbo 350. I haven't even uh, switched over to a metric yet. Uh, back then, the uh, the metrics were fairly new, you know, because uh, I only campaigned the car from 2001 to 2000, about halfway through 2007. Uh, and then we kind of, you know, I split ways with uh, with Barry there. So, so after that, it was, but that was so. Up till that point, I finally purchased the car. I believe it was uh, 2016. I bought the car, my girlfriend and I. So uh, to kind of get started again. But up to that point, you know, that is that was basically the, the setup that we dealt with. And uh, so I, I stuck with the turbo 350 and. You know, like I said, I, I'm in, uh, in the process of possibly getting the, uh, the metric set up for it, maybe a little bit better. But I was always worried about the weight of a metric trans with 3,650 pounds or so, you know, that's required for the Apollo uh, for our uh, case, stock automatic. Actually, 3,625 is the minimum. So, uh, but we're, we're looking towards the future, try to make it a little bit quicker, you know, and because uh, there, there's some fast cars out there, you know, getting away from it from that combination for so many years and kind of starting over the, the car is good but there is some uh, there's some updates that definitely need to be done did you, uh, did you do your own transmissions or who does your transmissions uh transmissions are done by um by uh, frank lupo down in uh, delaware they do uh, dynamic uh transmissions and converters uh you know sean wiley down there is, is kind of his uh, right hand man that really does all the uh all the work and these, you know, they're, they are excellent with me. It's, uh, you know, especially when I was back, uh, early two thousands kind of racing for a living, I gave, I was hard on the engine guys and the transmission guys and, you know, Glenn Briglio at B&B automotive machine in New York, you know, they, he was always doing the motors for me and it was a revolving door. You know, we were, you know, we get about 200 runs on the car and, and, you know, he said, I'm hitting 15 national events plus the eight, nine divisional, you know, a couple national opens, bracket racing. They, I needed them. I needed the stuff and I could drop my transmission off in, you know, in Delaware. And two days later, I'm picking it back up. And, 
for you know and then on the engine side i'm dropping it off to him and within three four weeks he's getting it back to me you know it was just kind of like plan out as to how we were going to do it you know nowadays we kind of take it you know a little bit more time because you know i'm not as uh young and you know crazy as i used to be and traveling all over and, you know but i still do enough and but they uh like i said they they really stepped up when i told them i needed something they they knew how to how to get it done and so we've kept that relationship so as soon as i came back into the apollo i went right back to the same guys that i dealt with in the early 2000s you know because you know they were always loyal to me and that's kind of what i did with them you know when i'm driving for other people i have to i had to kind of limit myself as to you know all right this guy's with whitaker this one's you know with this transmission guy you know it's it's a tough you know it's hard to come in there and change their their routine sometimes i would sometimes they would listen to me and say you know i can get this done and this done you know and it'd be okay but you know some people were kind of stuck in their own ways and that's fine i was hired as a driver and i you know that's what i'm supposed to do and that that's okay with me did you run a Lupo trans? Yeah, I'm sure you ran a dynamic converter then. Yes, I did. Yeah, we started off with an API, but uh, once we once we started, you know, doing our own thing, we we stuck with uh, Lupo with trans and converter, you know, and still to you know again to this day in the Apollo is is what we're using. What uh, what are you using for a stall converter on there? Um, it's a uh, it's right around fifty one, fifty two hundred, you know, you know, eight inch deal. You know, it's a, uh, we're a very low RPM with this car. You know, it's not a, not a high stall by any means. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a torque type motor. You know, I'm only spinning the thing at, you know, 6,400 through the traps. You know, I'm shifting the car at 5,800. You know, so there's not a whole lot, you know, that we really need to, to make this thing happen. But it, uh, but it, it does, it works extremely well, the combination. Uh, the horsepower that, you know, that Glenn gave me was phenomenal. Um, you know, the transmissions, you know, they got, they got serviced every time we did the motor and same thing with the converter. They would kind of just do a quick go through and it, uh, it didn't really eat parts. And that was the best thing. It was more just maintenance related. So every 200 runs, when I pulled the motor out, the transmission went and got serviced. And, you know, we had our, you know, our A piece, you know, transmission, our A piece motor. And then we had our BPs, but they're basically the same thing. You know, I could pull one motor and go to the other, you know, and not really see much difference. Uh, one might smoke a little bit more than the other just because, but that was, uh, you know, it is what it is, you know, but it still ran. And same thing with the transmissions. If I had a, uh, you know, had case problems, you know, with those cars, and that was the, the biggest problem. The Buick's Pontiac case just looked a lot thinner than the actual GM case. And in the beginning, I was, it got to a point I was breaking a case, you know, sometimes every seven runs. I broke two at Chicago and, you know, and, um, you know, rolling into a final and, you know, this thing's tripping fluid and I'm, I'm stuffing, uh, trash down there by the, uh, from the trash can to keep the leak from happening on the starting line. So, uh, Rick Stewart wouldn't shut me off. And, um, and I'm expecting it to just kind of break there on the starting line. And, you know, so I launched the car and, you know, and it was against Pete Biondo and, you know, but, you know, it said I did everything I could, but it was, uh, but breaking it in the semis, it was, uh, and it broke on deceleration. So I eventually ended up, um, you know, cutting the bell housing off and uh, putting the ultra bell on it prior to being legal because it was my only fix. You know, I had, uh, the problem came is I had one break on the starting line at ACO 
that a stock super stock race and it broke so bad that it hit my ankle on the in, down by the throttle and you know gave me a bruise on the ankle and basically turned the transmission upside down on the starting line so here you are dumping you know six seven quarts of uh, synthetic trans fluid right on the starting line and um but when that happened i looked at it more as a safety issue you know this is you know again this is before we were allowed to run the ultra belt so I put an ultra bell in there, sprayed it black and, you know, just kind of went with it because it was, uh, you know, it was what we had to do to, to make the fix a problem because we changed everything. You know, we tried different mounts. We tried different dry shafts. We tried everything, but it just was not, it was not working, you know, and we even went to the multi case where it had the GM pattern and it was just not happening. But, uh, but, you know, you know, Sean and Frank, you know, knew what I needed to do and, you know, and, uh, you know, they're like, hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do because we're, you know, we're changing transmissions too often due to a cracked case. He's like, we're going to run out of cases here soon. You, know, you keep this up. So, uh, so that was, uh, you know, part of the, that was about the only issues that I ever had with the combination. But we fixed that and, you know, moved forward. How do you run for a gear set in that? Uh, it's a 456, um, you know, 12 volt, you know, but uh, with 456 gear, you know, nothing, again, nothing crazy. We had purchased the 488 to run in the car if we ever went to, you know, if I ever went to Vegas or, you know, if I wanted to try something a little bit different at Indy. But the, to be honest, we bought it and it never went in the car. It was just, it was fast enough that I, I didn't even, I didn't need to try it. I wasn't, it wasn't, uh, wasn't necessary. You know, the, the extra couple hundreds that it may have given me at Indy, you know, I was qualifying okay at Indy with the car. You know, in 2004 at the uh, the 50th U.S. Nationals at that time, I think we were number 23 qualifier out of 170 cars, 180. You know, so we laid down a really good run. It was like 118 under, and you know, okay, so 118, 120, you know, under. What's you know, wasn't worth it for me if if it even worked. You know, I think it would have. You know, for that you know that type of weather, but but um, it just wasn't. You know, and it was housing to housing, everything. All I had to do was undo the brake line, slide the thing in and, you know, and plug the brake lines back in. It was very, going to be a whole, whole change. It was not even changing gear. It was just, you know, hit the four bolts at the shackles and, you know, make it as easy as possible if I had to. But it's not something you carry around with you in the trailer. What kind of carburetor comes on those Buick Apollos? Um... I guess it's considered the the small quadrajet. You know, it's uh, it's not even as good as the you know like the two hundred sevens or anything. It's I can run the two hundred seven, but it's the uh, it's the front inlet on the on the quadrajet. I don't, but I to be honest, I don't know the size. You know, I don't know if it's considered like a six hundred or maybe a six fifty if it's that. You know, but that's the uh, that's what we've run. You know, and and still still running now. In 1973, I'm, it's like the smog motors are starting to take over. Is that at like a low compression uh, motor? It's, it's a it's a low compression. It's you know we're you know it's nine and you know probably nine and a half to one is about where we're at. Maybe yeah. ten to one if we it up with it. It was right before like 74 is when they uh, when the smog stuff started coming in because the uh, I have a 74 intake and a few minor. Things that we could change, I could turn it into a 74, and I can actually go up a class. So now it becomes a natural K instead of a natural J. And but it was we seldomly did that because it was 
you know, one good, one big thing is you had to have the shock absorbing bumpers, which the 73 did not, 74 did. That's where the difference in the weight came from, but just some moldings and a couple things that we changed. And then I would have to change the intake because the 73 and 74 had specific number intakes. So that would have to be changed, which is what we ran. We ran at a couple, couple events, but for the most part, we kept it as a 73. Just because I, I liked a little extra speed, especially when I could run it in Jay. It was nice to kind of kind of bring bring myself off a little bit closer to people, be able to go 1170, 1160s on average in Jay and, you know, gain an extra two or three miles per hour because I'm getting, you know, 200 pounds out of it if I needed to. And, you know, just to tighten up the speed difference. You know, back then, you know, with an AB car, it was about all we dealt with. So they're going 128 to my 109, 110. 18 mile per hour judge is, you know, pretty easy, but if it, but, you know, 15 mile per hour, still not a big, you know, or, or 20 mile per hour, not a big difference, but the, every little bit, you know, track position made it a little bit easier for me to judge. You know, nowadays, you know, I, you know, I can, I can deal with a, you know, a 30 or 40 mile per hour spread. And it's uh, not too bad. Don't you, don't you think that makes it, <clears throat> it's actually uh, harder for the fast car when the speed difference is off that far? I believe it does, you know, and, you know, and that's something that we, we, you know, just not to touch on the school too much right now, but, but that's it, exactly what we teach is, you know, we break things down into, you know, time versus distance, you know, and that's, that's what you're looking at for, you know, a guy going by me at 150 miles per hour, you know, he has to take so much finish line to take the same amount of 10,000 finish line that I can take, but I can take more distance to take the same 10,000s. So my look is a little bit bigger than what their look would be as far as they, you know, for them to take that same amount. And that's, that's where people don't understand. You think, uh, you got to take 5,000s, 2,000s, you're taking this much, but, but you're not, you know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a greater distance. So if they got to take a foot and a half to take 10,000s and I got, I can take three feet to take 10,000s and that's, that's the difference. And that's where, you know, where it becomes a little bit easier as long as you understand what you're looking at and utilizing the mirrors correctly, then you can decipher that that distance in a mirror up until the point at the uh, the finish line. Now hold so, on, stop, stop, stop! You're talking <laughs> about mirrors. Yeah. Now I was told my whole life, you know, yeah, I I use the mirror to make sure the guy's not broken on the starting line, but after that, you're supposed to turn around and look, aren't you? No, no, you use it as much as can. That you know, in the beginning, I always use. I was a, a typical right lane driver, you know, because, you know, we have the left side mirror. Now, the problem you get with the with these small outside mirrors, especially on the Apollo, you got the little tiny one, objects in mirror closer than they appear. So you can only use it as a, you know, that reference, you know, and then our inside mirror is is all we're allowed to use. We're not allowed to step up to that uh, that all-star mirror where you got four different ones going across the, the roll cage, which we have in the bracket car. But by doing that, by what we have in the bracket car, we can utilize those mirrors to assist us while being in the left lane. So that way you're not doing the turn and back and turn it back. Because while you're doing that, you're losing track reference as to where you are compared to where the car is. But every time you turn your head, now you don't know where the finish line is. And then you come back, you find the car. Now you, you, know, you come back to the finish line to find the finish line. You've lost the car again. So utilizing the mirror is the, you know, it keeps the race in front of me, technically. 
So I'm, you know, so going back to using the mirror on the driver's side, I'm looking into the mirror, watching them come, you know, up at me. So in a way, I'm using both eyes. I got my left eye in the mirror, my right eye is at the finish line, but I'm not looking at my finish line. I don't have to come back. I'm looking at their finish line. It's the same distance. So I'm looking through that mirror past to the finish line to judge the finish line. I'm watching the car in the mirror. Once they hit a certain point, then I can turn my head and they're right out here. But that's understanding mirror setup. And that's that's one thing that we do teach in the school because a mirror setup is not the same as what you're going down the highway with. It's it, you're gonna get the wrong you're gonna get the wrong look. So that's uh that's part of it. But it's but that's how I can drive in front. And if you look at my comp car, it looks like a big Mickey Mouse ears on this thing. You, know, you see these two big black round five inch circles and people make fun of it. Oh, wow. What, you know, what's, what are we doing with that? Well, you know, I haven't really given a stripe up. So that's what I'm doing with it. You know, it's, uh, you know, that's, you know, it's not a cockiness. It's just, this is what I use to, you know, keep the race in front of me. If they're going 190 to my 145 and that panel, you know, it was a tough judge, you know, and, I, you know, like you said, you have to know that they're coming, but then if you have adjusted right, you can set it to where you can use it to know exactly where they are on, you know, in track position. Track position is key. That is, you know, everybody says you need to see time to figure out track position, but you have to understand what you're looking at. You know, seat time is a, is a double-edged sword. We all know how to make runs. We know how to get down the track, but practicing and understanding what you're looking at that's what you're looking for at a seat time, knowing what you're looking at on the starting line, knowing what you're looking at for track position going down to the finish line. So what I got out of that lane is what you're saying early, what you're saying is uh, one of the ultimate stock combos is a, like a 78 Chevy pickup with the great big, like four by eight mirrors hanging off each side. There's actually an advantage to being slower with those huge mirrors. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it's, you know, unfortunately, Bud was trying to hop on here, but he uh, he actually put one of those big mirrors on a, he's got a, you know, it's kind of comical that, you know, Bud and I were partners, but I'm in a 73 Apollo. He's got a 73 Omega with a, you know, Oldsmobile motor in it. So he went and, you know, because of that discrepancy of problems that we have being in the left lane with having that mirror, utilizing the inside mirror to help us through the sail panel as much as we can. He went and found one of these truck mirrors and grafted it on the car. It's just, it's a big mirror over there, you know, and, uh, you know, you look at it and it's funny looking, you know, you know, I'll, you know I tell him it, you know, it's a funny looking mirror, but his finish line driving in the left, in the left lane now is as good as it is in the right because of that mirror. You know, we found a nice flat mirror that, you know, doesn't show the, the concave or convex. I don't even know which is which, but, Whatever one distorts, that's the one we don't want. So, uh, you know, I watch, I see a lot of guys, they put those, you know, NASCAR style mirrors in there and they're rounded and all that. And, you know, that's, that's all that's doing is telling you that they're coming, but you have no idea. You know, they're, they look this big in that thing and, you know, and uh, they could be 100 feet back or 20 feet back. They don't have a clue. Convex is like your eyeball goes out. Concave okay. is like a cave comes in. All right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll keep it for me right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way. That's the way we had to teach it in math class. Cave, concave. Go. Just think like a cave. A goes cave. In. Okay. But, um, gotcha. So yeah, now by looking at the mirror the whole time, it's more like like 
uh, Jerry Emmons said, which he may have gotten from you, I forget, is like you're watching the video as opposed to the snapshots where you keep turning and looking back, which is why the faster car has the, you know, has that ability to, it's like a video as opposed to looking at snapshots. How do you deal with certain drivers hug the center line? Certain drivers are out toward the wall. Isn't that going to change where they are in your mirror? Is that going to mess, mess their position up, make you think that they're in a different spot? For the most part, no, it's not going to, it's not going to change as much. Uh, When they do start to rub the center line, you know, not many people do it anymore. They don't really get too much out of the groove. Uh, I had one guy bracket racing years ago and, you know, at Echo and, you know, he would kick dust up. He'd go so far over to the wall, you know, and, um, you know, it's, you don't really see that nowadays, but if, if they do it, it doesn't, it doesn't really affect me much because if they do start to go to the center line, I can still move myself, you know, three or four feet to the right, you know, because I'm seeing them taking that move. So I'll make that move as well in the same way. If they start to move three feet the other way, I may take a little bit of movement that way, but it, um, it's not enough where I can't use the mirror for the way I have it set and what I'm looking for out of it. So you're waiting for them to appear or disappear in a certain spot on that mirror. And then you turn and look. Now I would say if you're within 15 miles an hour, maybe 20, that's okay. If you're going a hundred and Let's say you're going about 115 with the Apollo and you're racing 140 something mile an hour, you know, factory car. Is it still the same? I mean, by the time you look from it's, mirror and turn your head, they've gained how many, you know, feet, uh, another 10 to 15 feet, haven't they at that, at that rate of speed? Correct. Yes, they have. But you're, you're looking at it as, you know, again, you're kind of picturing it as that video. You see where they're at in that mirror. And once they are getting to that spot that I'm looking for, then I know I can I can see the track. I can see what they're doing coming across that mirror. And then once once I see that they're about to come out of it, you know, in the spot that I'm looking for, I can make that turn and they're there, you know, and they're going to be very close. They're they're going to be either right on my bumper, but they're going to be pretty close. And, you know, again, dealing with 100, you know, 50 mile per hour, you know, double a type car or whatever you know cobra jet feel out there now copo you know it's 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 still relative you know we, i've dealt with it enough with just taking a bracket car and running a tuesday night gambler race against dragsters you know and uh you know so my street car that i had was a 15 second street car run against you know 170 mile per hour dragsters here i'm going 85 miles per hour so we're looking at a 90 mile per hour spread and that's what i kept conditioning self myself to get used to you know back then i was racing four nights a week so for the normal class racer you're racing once or twice a month you know me as a bracket racer especially living where i did i was living in central jersey it was a half hour to echo half hour to englishtown so echo tuesday night englishtown wednesday echo saturday englishtown sunday and you know just just wearing the car out but back then you know the bracket car i could get 3,000, 4,000 runs out of it. You know, it was just a mild, you know, big block and run it. And so by doing that, I'm putting two months of work that a normal class racer would put in in one week. So that's how I up my learning curve, you know, because, you know, from 95 to 2001, I was doing it that way. So by the time I came into NHRA stock, 
from doing the same thing, but I kind of had 12 years, 15 years experience, you know, when I got let go in it. You know, we didn't have the junior dragsters or anything at the time to where like they are now, these kids, they're, they're hitting these juniors, they're starting at eight years old and some younger now, but they, you know, by the time they turn 16 and get into a big car, you know, they're 12 years in, you know, and they understand the concepts. They understand what they're looking at. The only thing they, they, that I see for is tougher for them now, especially with some of the schools that we've done, we've done a few of the junior dragsters. Once they get towards the end, they're all about 790. So it's almost like a heads up deal all the way down the track, but you can start to get an idea what track position is supposed to look like, you know, especially if you have a little bit of vantage on a tree. But once they get into a big car, so they go into stock or something like that, you know, now you're dealing with these swings. You know, now you're dealing with, you know, you know, a you know, those 20 mile per hour swings instead of everybody going, you know, what 79 to 81 miles per hour at 790, you know, which is crazy. You know, these kids can go a lot faster than 790. And, you know, I'm only going seven forties in the Apollo in the eight. Yeah, so it's uh yeah, these twelve year olds are you know going as fast as I am. Well, real, one last question about the mirrors then. So that's all based on being in the right lane. If you're in the left lane, you were saying you would be more uh, inclined to use the rear view mirror than this instead is, of the side mirrors. Correct. If yeah, you had a side mirror, do you use do you use that or not? Regardless if it's um, there, you still use the center mirror? Regardless, I, I tend not to use the, uh, the outside right mirror uh, just because of, you know, it does give you a weird look. I'll use the inside mirror to show me as much as possible. Unfortunately, I have to get into the, you know, the little bit of turning. I'm kind of giving away weakness that I have because of running one of those cars. But again, you know, I've seen it enough that I, I know what I'm looking for. So if they throw me in the left lane, so be it. But the, um, but you, again, you're adjusting the mirror, not as if you were driving a car down the street, you're adjusting the mirror to look out other windows, if you will. You know, and uh, to kind of, you know, not give it away, but kind of give it away, you know, and you're looking for it in a different spot, you know, and that's, that's again, something that we're, we teach in, in the program or in, in the consulting, you know, at our schools, you know, or even just in our one-on-one on one deal. And it's to get them to understand, again, what they're looking for and how to look for it. And to, to put it honest, you know, the mirror is not straight across. We got it slightly turned, you know, and, you're looking at a different window. Everybody's looking out the back window. I'm looking at another. That pretty much gives you gives you the answer. But uh, they get into that window. It's the same as if I'm doing this and finding them over here. Interesting. I like it. All right. Well, we haven't even mentioned the school per se. We've just been talking about things mm -hmm. that you teach at the school. Um, Tell us a little bit about the school, if you will, what kind of program you have, and then I would love to get back into a couple other things. I would definitely want to ask you about some starting line approaches, but tell us about sure. the school. Yeah, like I said, I was kind of hoping Bud, Bud was here. I think he was trying to hop on, but the, uh, but the, you know, the school that we do, it's, you know, it was built, we started kind of doing stuff back in 97, 98, Bud and I got together and started teaching people, you know, locally, you know, you know, basically just, you know, just helping people with starting line, practice trees, stuff like that. And then, you know, 2001, I started traveling. And so we were still kind of doing it, but, you know, you know, in 2002, but, you know, had a, you know, had a baby coming. So life kind of got in the way. And 
So we kind of did our own thing for a while. Bud was doing a school. I was doing a school or helping some people here and there along the way and you know, through my travels around the country. But all in all, Bud and I never, we never separated. You know, you know, I'm the, I'm the godfather to his, his child and, you know, he's grown up. She's, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old now. But, um, but the, you know, they've all, they've, we've kind of moved, you know, and, but we've always, uh, we worked with each other a lot. The stock eliminator taught us a lot. It taught us a lot about weather prediction and figuring all that stuff out. But bracket racing, you, you know, for the most part, you know, until the big dollar bracket races started coming out, you know, you, you're making a run every couple hours and, you know, the, you didn't really need it. You can kind of get an idea. But now, you know, when you're running day to day, like NHRA, we were, you know, and now with the big bracket races, you're making one time shot Tuesday. And now you all, you know, now you got to dial from day to day. So now the weather prediction is a is a huge deal, you know. So that was something, you know, early 2002, we were really, you know, dri- I'm driving across, you know, New Mexico, Arizona, and, you know, and I would talk to Bud from 11 o'clock till three o'clock in the morning because he's a night owl, you know, with, you know, and we were talking about concepts and figuring this stuff out. So we're building the, building the, the program in all through the 2000s till the time we, you know, came back together and, uh, you know, life made some changes. Like, you know, I'm back in New Jersey and, you know, and, you know, I'm 20 minutes away from Bud. So we, we decided to put, you know, kind of put the band back together. And um, so we came up with the, uh, the consulting, you know, to still do the schools and, the one-on-one program was always built as a as an outlet for our live schools. You know, so to, to put it in perspective, you hire Bud and I, we come to a school, we're going to spend a day, day and a half, we need two full days, and we are going to overload you with so much information, it, it's going to blow your mind, your head's going to be spinning by the end of the two days. And that's with anything. You go to any, you know, any type of, um, you know, seminar or whatever, there is so much information being thrown at you that you don't know how to compute all the key, you know, suck it all in. You can only do so much. So the one-on-one program was built for those and they would sign up for the, the on-track deal. And then for two months, they were able to cop into the one-on-one program for free. And that gave them an outlet to, to go and go on to that next event and, Things would start to pop. Things would come into their head, and then they would come to us. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? I remember you talking about this? How did that happen? And you know, and you know, what can I build on from this? So they had that that outlet and that group setting to continue the craft. And then after the two months, if they decided they wanted to stay in the one-on-one program with us, they could. But from but you know, and then after the two months, if they wanted to go on their own, that was fine. They you know, they go. You know, and that's our ultimate goal is we want people to learn so you can do it on your own. We're not looking to, you know, to suck everybody dry and, you know, make a million dollars out of this. This is, this is our passion. Bud and I love this. You know, we have so much fun working with people and, you know, building this, you know, that, um, you know, like I said, it's not about that, you know, and it, yeah, we got to eat so that, you know, time is, you know, some money there, but, but that's not, that's not our ultimate goal. Like with, you know, like with, we did with Jerry Hemmins this year, you know, and, you know, and I spent a lot of time with Jerry, you know, and, and to me, you know, that was, it ends up being, you know, one of the greatest friendships that I've built, you know, was with, with Jerry and, you know, and, you know, with all of them really, you know, Terry, Jerry and Gary, you know, every one of them, you know, but with Jerry, you know, he came to us with a, with that problem in 2018 and, 
you know, and, you know, so we just kind of stayed in touch. And, you know, so I, I kind of, kind of took him, it was weird to say, because in the beginning, I was looking at Jerry that like, this was a guy when I first started, you know, these were the, they were out there. They were, they're the same age as me, but they were already clicking off wins and winning divisions and this and that. You know, my first year, I ran Gary Emmons in the final at Vegas and, you know, at the national event. And hey, I'm looking up to these guys, you know, it's like, so then when they came where Jerry comes to me and, you know, asked for help, it was, it's a starstruck type moment. You know, it's, uh, I know what I was capable of doing and, you know, and, but it was, but it was a relationship that we built. We had to, had to kind of feel each other out as, you know, will this work? You know, how, you know, especially being distant related. You know, we're, you know, I'm in Jersey, he's in Houston, you know, he's racing everywhere that I'm not really, you know, I'm not traveling like that. So it's, uh, so we're trying to figure out how we're going to make this work to get him to what he was looking for. You know, he comes to me in 18, he said, I want to win a championship. Okay. Easier said than done, but I'll do what I can to help. And here we are, you know, he got it, you know, and, you know, and to be honest, it was, it's as, it's as gratifying to me as it was winning in 04 and 08, you know, because this was a guy that, you know, you know, like many people, they thought Emmons brothers had already won a championship. Yeah, they did with Harvey, but we're talking 94 or 93, I believe it was. So over those course of years, you see an Emmons win many different things, but they haven't had many championships to go with it. So that was, that was a big part of the, you know, kicking the butt to, to kind of getting, getting there. And, and he did, you know, he did everything I asked. I had him change a lot of things. And that's, that's what we do in the school, week in, week out. You know, Bud and I are, you know, Bud might be on a phone call with somebody else. I'm on a phone call with this guy or messaging with this guy at a certain event, you know, whether it be down in Florida or, you know, out in Indy or whatever. You know, we, we got a lot of people in the Northeast up in Lebanon Valley and Epping, New Hampshire, and a lot of guys out in the Pittsburgh area. And, you know, and it's, you know, our phones are ringing, you know, and the text messages coming in. And that's, that's how we, we stay on top of it. It's because we are available, you know, and, you know, we don't have a big following, you know, uh, you know, it's, you know, well, not saying we don't have a big following. It's, um, you know, in comparison to, you know, you know, like with Luke Bagaki's deal, you know, he's, he's got a huge following with that. And that's, and I respect the hell out of Luke, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's a different, ours is different. You know, it's, you know, it's just, everybody has a certain way and, you know, he has, you know, the way he teaches and but have a way we teach. And I ask anybody to, to give it a try, you know, because the way I teach compared to the way Bud teaches were the same, but different, you know, so we might take a slightly different approach, but the end result is we, we want you to be the best that you can be, you know, and that's, and it doesn't matter how we get there, you know, and, and that's the same thing with anybody. You know, I've asked questions from many different people in my career to get to where I'm at. You know, I've learned from Sal Biondo, Pete Biondo, you know, Bud taught me a lot, you know, early, you know, when I started bracket racing. So with all that, I kind of took all these pieces and made what worked for me, you know, and a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, and try to make my own bundle and then come up with my own approach. And, and over those course of years, I've learned how to, you know, as you can tell, I've learned how to talk. You know, I was the quiet kid in the back of the class. You know, I didn't raise my hand a lot. I didn't ask a lot of questions, but I, but I paid attention. And that's, and that's what we ask, you know, of people with us. 
you know, and, you know, the school is, it's fun. You know, we, we go to a school and, you know, we're wore out after two days, Bud and I, you know, with uh, what we're doing and, you know, running around, but man, it is, it is the, the best time that we could, we could have at the track, you know, seeing, you know, especially, you know, with you, Bob, you know, with you teaching people, you know, you see the light bulb click, you see it, you know, you see in their eyes that, you know, something just, you know, took a, you know, resonated with them. And that's, and that's what we're looking for. And when that happens, you know, it, it's like, it's like your kid, you know, you just, you know, it's just, you know, you're happy for their accomplishment, you know, and that's, and that's what I was with Jerry when he won that championship. It was, uh, you know, I was very happy for him and, you know, and, you know, text messaging him right up to the, you know, to the point that I couldn't no more. And, you know, he's four pair back and, you know, and, um, you know, right there winning, you know, it's like, all right, we got this. Everything's done. We, we've dotted the I's, crossed the T's. Now go do it, you know, and, uh, you know, end this thing. You know, he played it out long enough all through Vegas and going into Pomona. I was like, dude, you know, I got to get some sleep here. You know, this West Coast thing was killing me. You know, it's like, here I am at, you know, one o'clock in the morning to watch it, you know, you know, to discuss things. But, you know, at least it's, they're making a run at eight, nine o'clock at night and it's midnight here. So it's like, man, I, you know, and then I'm waking up at four in the morning because I'm worrying about what the dolly the next day, you know, it's like, you know, just, uh, it was so, like I said, to, to put it in perspective, it was so much harder than if it was for myself. For myself, I'm going to let things go a little bit. You know, us as racers, we know what we got to, we can set aside and that doesn't mean as much. This doesn't mean as much. And, but with what he was asking for, I was trying to be 100% perfect, you know, get the, you know, get the weather prediction right, make the run completion correct, you know, everything, you know, and, and that's, that's the program. And that's how we, uh, how we push forward. And they like said, it was scarier. I'd rather just hopped in the car and did it, you know, than, uh, than sitting on the sideline because, uh, but he, he definitely earned it. He put a, he put a lot of work into it. And, and that's all we asked of anybody that we work with. We got, uh, we got quite a few people. They've come in and, yeah, they were at the, they said, ah, it's, you know, I'll give this a try and we're, I'm going to sell everything. And we've turned them into track champions after that. And that's, uh, and to us, that's, that's great. You know, we had a couple track champions at Lebanon Valley, you know, you know, back to back years, you know, and, uh, you know, one guy did it the one year, the one guy did it the next year and, you know, and they're still strong today, you know, and that's, uh, to us, that is, that is very gratifying. Well, it looks like Bud might actually be in the waiting room, so we're going to try to bring him in here. Okay, good. So hopefully he's been watching. Kind of. I like him already. He's wearing his Holly EFI hat. <laughs> oh, geez. We're going to get started on the EFI already. <laughs> hey, Bud. How's it going? Hi. How you doing? Excellent. Thanks for joining us. No, so, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Lee was just, you know, we covered Lee's stock eliminator combo. We actually started talking about driving, you know, getting chased using mirrors uh, to gauge your opponent's track position. And um, and Lee just told us about the school, how you guys take more of, we'll say, a, a customized approach for each driver. Um, meaning, I guess you, you, you try to limit the enrollment a little bit and make sure that you're focusing 100% on each one of your students as opposed to, I guess just taking, you know, let's just take a bazillion people and see, you know, how, how many people we can, we can, you know, set a record on here. Like, so 
I, I do think your approach is pretty cool. And like Lee said, I mean, I teach math. It's great to, to take a kid who's getting 50s and 60s, give them a couple tutoring sessions, and then they crank out like a 90 on a on a test. It does. It gives you like that sense of accomplishment. So I guess if you guys have a student, you give him a couple lessons, and then he goes out and makes it to the semifinal, you know, you feel great, and the driver feels great also. So I like what you guys are doing. Yeah, no, 100%. It's it's all about um, <clears throat> we 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 have the the personal approach that's that's what we want so we we have to keep the number small so we can continue to give the personal attention the we we lee and i kind of we we joke the the 101 is actually one on one that's that's what we that's our our whole goal you know we we want each person to get everything they need we're we're so afraid of you know leaving somebody behind you know, I mean, so so we keep that, keep it small, and keep it so we can we can give the personal attention. And what you were just saying about um, seeing it in somebody's eyes when they when they they make an improvement. It's uh, just a real quick story. One of our students was here. Um, he came to the house the other day. Um, went over a few things with hitting the tree. Showed him one little thing that I could see he was doing in his release, and um, he. Uh, proceeded to um he was uh within one thousandth in five hits after i made the, the little adjustment and his eyes just, just like he's he's looking at me like this how's this possible this can't be me you know it was just it was just so so funny to to see that and that's that's our fulfillment that's that's what lee and i are after is seeing something like that so it's it's a it's just a like lee had said earlier it's a passion you know, that's, that's what we're after. So question I have, are you guys like the two kids at the schoolyard picking teams? Like I want him, I want him. And there's <laughs> that one guy that's like, why am I always last? Like, <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. Um, what Lee was just saying earlier is that we have a little different style of, of teaching. Not, not that it's a different style, but people are different. <clears throat> so he has a little, we're, we're teaching the same thing, but I, I can say something to somebody 10 different ways and it's just not registering. Lee comes in, makes a little, you know, just a off the cuff comment. And the guy's like, Oh, that makes so much sense. You know, but we don't get, you know, like I don't get mad at that. I'm, I'm happy. Yes. It got through. We don't care how it gets through as long as it gets through. So we like, it kind of weeds itself out. People tend to take the either, either myself or Lee or both of us, you know, or, or one of us for finish line, one of us for starting line or, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and it just, it just kind of works itself out as to who fits better for, for the, for the student. That's, that's all we care about. Right. No, we, we don't, we don't I want to bring it back to, let's get some tech questions in here. And I see you wearing a Holly EFI hat. I'm just going to assume that you that you prefer Holly EFI over all the other fuel injection companies. Um, weather station. Uh -huh. what, what's the best weather station? Which one do you guys prefer? Computech. The Race Air Pro is... or the Race Air Cloud or what's it called I, now? I'd, I'd love to try the Race Air Cloud, um, but it's I'm I'm always dealing with with handheld stuff um, for myself, for my own budget, as well as what what most most uh, most of our our customers and students. Deal with is a, a lower budget um 
I'm not trying to badmouth or throw anything under the bus, but I'm not a perform air fan. Um, that that weather station does not repeat in its in its readings. You can sample it, write it down, and sample it again, and the weather is different. And it's different enough to show two or three hundredths of ET change. And I understand weather stations. I understand how they take readings. So I'm, I keep it away from grass. I keep it away from any moisture, out of the shade. So, you know, I stand back when I take the sample so my body heat doesn't influence it. The Computech repeats uh, the within like a tenth of a degree. That's all it changes. So you get the you get the same reading when you when you resample it right away. Um, so that that has proven to me to be the the most reliable, repeatable uh, weather station. So I'm I'm definitely a Computech fan. So Computech um, on the handhelds, then uh, as far as trailer based stations, because a lot of class racers are running. You know, I have the right. trailer based station with the Crew Chief Pro software too. Um, mm-hmm. Are you guys into the? Do you like that now, software? Lee can speak to that uh, more because he has what Outer Lab is that the? Yeah, yeah, I have the uh, the Outer Lab. Uh, I've always I've been wanting to try the you know the Perform Air Cloud. A couple of the uh, customers that we have, uh, one of them has the uh, the Cloud, which I I really like. Uh, but I, I definitely like the Outer Lab as a trailer based station as well. Uh, very simple, but there's a few things that it doesn't have. You know, like the uh, like something with Bud and I were actually working on the other day with um, you know horsepower reading, you know, and uh, you know, getting that ratio. That's the one thing the Apple app does not have. But if you apply it into the Crew Chief Pro, you know, it'll you know, you put the numbers in there and it will give you that information. Now, you know, I was a you know I was a dealer for Crew Chief Pro for many years, and you know, it is a it's a great product. And you know, but the the one thing you know Bud and I will work with is you know. We help break it down, and that way you can use Crew Chief as a, you know, kind of a, you know as a Crew Chief basically. You know, you want you need to understand what the weather is and how to make a prediction yourself. So then you can go to the Crew Chief, and it'll tell you, you know, if you're close or something's you know out of you know what's going on. But is it something in the Crew Chief, or is it something that I did wrong? You know, and you know, but if you go to it, it's all right. We're too slower, and you know. You know, is what I predict. Now the crew chief tells me it's too slower. I'm I'm 100% confident rolling into the lanes. But if I'm too slower and crew chief is telling me it's too faster, one of us is something's not right. You know, is it you know what I loaded into the crew chief? Is that what's causing the problem, or am I missing something? And that's and then the, so you go back to work. You don't go to the lanes yet. You redo everything, and that's that's a big key. But that's something you know. You know, I make the joke with a lot of our our customers. You know, Bud's a walking barometer, and he he knows the you know the weather extremely well. This was you know again this goes back to our discussions. You know, with me driving across you know New Mexico and you know Texas for 880 something miles. You know, it's uh, you know figuring out you know certain weathers, and then so we kept building on that, and Bud Bud took it to another level, and the the you know what we're using as far as weather prediction right now is is probably the best prediction we you know I have ever seen. You know it is um, it's worked with many different cars and you know is any of uh, anybody watching they know that I run a lot of different weird combination type things. Even the four cylinder comp dragster I can use this prediction to make it work. You know same thing. You know so now I can get into the you know small block car on alcohol or the 
you know, the Buick Apollo, it's all working. And that's, that's due to, you know, we don't, we don't rest really. We're always looking for a different way. Like I said, we were, you know, the other day looking at, you know, different weather predictions to, to, you know, help the customers, help them, you know, make, simplify it kind of, you know, and uh, not get so overwhelmed, you know, because you look at, you look at all that stuff on the weather and, you know, people have no idea what some of it is. And, you know, and that's where Bud, you know, does a lot of reading. So I'm going to, I'm going to praise Bud on that because, you know, he will sit there and figure out, you know, what each molecule is worth, why, why, how come, all that stuff. And that's what we've been able to bring to the table, you know, especially on the prediction side of things, because that is, that is huge. You know, everybody can practice starting lines, you know, and, you know, and even now you can still, you know, practice a little bit with finish line stuff with some of the games that are out there in theory, but it's, uh, but understanding all that and being able to go back to your own, your own logbook and, you know, change your prediction, you know, how would it have changed whatever round, you know, let's say you lost third round at, you know, at Echo, Bob, and, you know, you, you did it because of a, a weather problem. Now you could go and you could put in our formula, look at it and say, oh my God, if I had had that, I, I would, I could have, instead of being dialed 1188 that run, I could have had the 91 on there with work. And that's, and that's what we strive for. And that's why we, you know, we have our customers send us pictures of the logbook. We'll go through it with them. You know, we sit, you know, Zoom is, uh, is a big deal for us. And, you know, the one thing that the, um, the unfortunate thing of the pandemic, it is, did teach us a different outlet. And that's where the 101 has thrived because of that. And, We've we've taken it to a different level through Zoom because we can shadow your computer. We can look at it. You know, we can look at your runs from the race back and see where there was a problem. What's going on? Why? You know, you know, is that converter flash too much? You know, with you know, you know, all those things that you know, you know, kind of you know, Brian, that we had talked in the beginning. All those things figuring out where a shift point would be, you know, or should be, you know, and you know, making the cars more consistent. And this is what we break down. You know, anything from, like I said, starting line, finish line, weather, and car setup. And car setup is, is a lot of, uh, lot of, lot of problems. And, uh, you know, it's, it never stops. We're always kind of, you know, Bud and I will sit on the phone for two hours and work on things, try and, you know, figure it out daily, you know, at least, you know, once or twice a week, you know, and coming up with different avenues or let's try this and see how this works, but we'll try it on our own stuff first. And then, you know, you know, just as anything, we're redesigning. And, you know, so next month we might present it to the 101, you know, but, it, but we're taking taking that time to make sure it works first and get an idea of what's working. What would you guys say, like, the the fundamental issue that 90% of people need to work on? Like, to me, like, if I look at it across the board, probably just starting line, you know, getting the good light, like, would you say that serves it more like the weather prediction people are missing? Um, it's, it's not, it's not per se what, what the most common is. The most important is definitely a starting line. Um, that, that is, that is the most fundamental piece without that. The, the run is in jeopardy right off the get go. Um, if you, if you don't have a good light, you're, you're just fighting a, an uphill battle. Um, you could have your weather prediction, right? You could drive the finish line well, but if you're behind on the tree, you're in trouble. So you have to have that as the, 
the most important part. Um, one, what one person is missing, somebody else has, but then somebody else will be good at a different thing. And this person isn't, you know, so it's, it, you, you can't pinpoint what's most common. The most common thing we have people chasing is the finish line. That's what most come to us about saying that they need help. I'm, I'm good on the starting line. I need help at the finish line. And the, the funny thing that, that it always turns out is just about everybody needs help on the starting line too. Even if you, even if you think you've got that, that, you know, down good, um, there's, there's still so much more to learn on the starting line. Even, even if you are in a decent window, um, if you don't know when you miss it, that's a problem. And if you don't know by how much you miss it, that's a problem because that is necessary for driving the finish line. Well, if you don't know that you're, you know, you're, you're, you think you're set up to be 15 and you come up 35 and you don't know it, you're going to make the wrong decision at the finish line based on incorrect information to start. So that part of it is a real key. And if you don't have that, you're, you're behind. You have to start from the beginning and start with the finish line to be able to get to the finish line. So, you know, that's, it's a, it's not, not so much as what's common because there's, there's always stuff to learn about everything, every single piece. So um, whether it's run completion, weather prediction, starting line, finish line, you know, your vehicle's consistency, there's always improvement to be made everywhere. So, um, but the most important piece to, to, to start with is always starting line. I want to dig into that a little more then. Um, it's like my personal thoughts are like, I can't, you know, I'm on a pretty limited budget. So last winter I just worked on, worked on my lights, like just practice tree, practice tree, practice tree. Um, I'm admittedly have a crutch. I started blocking just because I don't, I was always red. I was getting mad. I started blocking and it seemed like it just really made me a lot more consistent, but I do realize that, I mean, it's a crutch, but up here where I can only go, you know, 10 races a year, it's hard to really get in a good routine. And this is my third year of driving. So that makes it kind of tough too. But my theory is if I can be double O every light, it sure makes it a lot easier to drive the end. But what are your guys' thoughts on blocking or not blocking? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, well, you know, if, uh, if you listen to a you know, recent podcast, you know, the one that you guys prepared Jerry for, you you heard the story about him throwing it out the window. Uh, you know, I'm all for that. You know, it's, uh, you know, I had tried it and, you know, maybe I didn't give it enough, uh, you know, enough attention, but there's too much issue that can happen with it. You know, the, for the, for the most part, stock, super stock, we're, we're, we're daytime racers. But, you know, you guys know as well as, you know, any, you know, especially a lot of the stocks and stock racing, there are those times where we are going to run at night. And now you have to figure out a way to hit it, you know, without this, or you're going to catch a glare and, you know, and, you know, David Rampey, you know, one of the best out there, you know, ran a blocker. And, but you, you could tell when they got dark without actually even looking at the statistics of the race, you know, Bobby with all his statistics probably has it, but it's uh but you, you look at that and, you know, you see David was just 72 on the tree. And now you go and like, well, wait a minute. What time was that? All right, it was around 830 that night. And that was that's the problem. And he would admit it. You know, he knew what it was. But that's uh, that's something we, we teach a kid away from that. 
And that was something, you know, working with Jerry, you know, he was, you know, in the very beginning when I was working with him, it was, you know, the, the stalker, he was, you know, not blocking. I got him to, to get away from that, you know, almost immediately, but he was still doing it in the super stock car. So now we have two different things happening and it's, it was messing with it. So then when this year he kind of stuck to, he stuck to one car a lot this year. And that was one of the reasons, you know, that was, you know, after he threw it out the window where you know, I can't remember which track he threw it, but, but, um, but the fact that he threw it, I, I love that, you know, and, uh, you know, and he even had a, like when we first started, I saw his practice tree set up with a blocker on the thing or in block mode. I'm like, we're only going to do that if we're trying to fix, you know, where you're at, cut out the anticipation or figure out if you're sitting on it, just as if we're hitting a five tenths pro tree, same type of deal. And that's, that's what we work on and you know, try to get, get that out of there. And we're specific about what we're targeting, what we're looking for and trying to simulate, you know, the bottom bulb as if it is a pro tree or if it is being blocked, you know, so when you roll into that nighttime session, you're only dealing with what is my difference at night from day? You know, how do I see it differently? Because we all see the tree a little bit different at night, you know, and that's so now it's only that and it's not that on top of am I going to catch a glare am I not going to catch a glare am I going to sit on it you know all those things and that's uh I I would rather not have that crutch now with bracket racing you know not many people were using it because you know we were only getting you know big at a big dollar event we're getting two rounds in during the day and you know from seven o'clock at night till one o'clock in the morning we're going to finish the rest so it's dark so there is you, you can't do it you're not going to you're not going to win. It's, it, uh, you know, you know, I'm not going to say you're not going to win, but you're going to make it extremely difficult on yourself because maybe somebody pulled it off, but I haven't heard of it. Well, that, that podcast that uh, he was just on, I listened to it coming home this weekend and it was just like a light bulb goes off. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, and Justin says all the time too, it's a crutch. Don't block, don't block, don't block. And it's like, but man, I just feel like I'm so much more consistent with it. It's like, how do you get through that? I know it really jumped out at me when uh, my car broke at the my first national event. I jumped in a, a station wagon, and man, you know, I it's no secret I leave pretty hard. I leave it like fifty one hundred. I could be double O just about all the time. If I back that down to twenty five hundred, I'm I'm one forty. So and it's like I'm blocking, so I think I'm leaving at the same spot. Like, but it, I know it's got to be just I don't know. There's got to be something there, and I'm like, that's my I determine. I'm going to fix it this winter. So. Yeah, I'll let the you know, Buttle, Buttle capitalize on that. So I'll, you know, <laughs> this is where we complement each other. You know, we, uh, you know, we have an approach and, you know, and uh, we're, we're one person weeks, the other one, you know, is weak or the other one picks it up as a strength. So, but we're always on the same page, same outcome. You, you know, right where I'm headed, the, the, the best thing that you have going for you in using the blocker is you found out that the car can react. So if you were on a pro tree, it would be the same as you blocking because there, there are no two ambers leading up to it. So you, you are truly leaving on the flash. So the fact that your, your car can, can react there, that allows you to be able to truly react to the bulb. You're not having, you won't have to fight anticipation or sitting on it, or you, you already have established what RPM you need to leave at to hit the tree. So now it's just a matter of, of learning the process of how to ignore the other two bulbs. Um, that's, that's what 
that's what Lee and I teach. Not not trying to keep anything away from anything, but we have a very systematic way of of breaking it down. There's a lot of I like Lee said, I do a I do a lot of reading. So I I always want to know why. <clears throat> so one of the books I actually have in my in my laptop bag is uh, Neuroscience for Dummies, um, because I wanted to understand how you see the light and what allows you to react and how the whole system works. Um, I knew how to do it. I knew how to teach it and make it work, but I wanted to know why. So now I have even more information and explains a lot of things that, that we've always done. You know, like we do something and it works. We don't know why it works, but we keep doing it. So um, I found the reasoning and the explanation. And a lot of it has to do with, with your focal vision and your ability to stay focused on on your target that's where that's where people start with the problem on the bottom bolt that's where they they tend to follow the tree down and anticipate um you combine that with the fact of uh because they're following it or they don't like the light that they have you know that you keep coming up 60 70 first thing you say is oh i missed it well what if you didn't? What if 60 and 70 is where the car is? You need to get the car to react quicker. You running the blocker, you've already taken all that part of it out of it. It's it's gone. You know that you can, at this RPM, you said 5,100, that's where you're hitting the tree. Well, that's that's where you're at. So now you know that that is the correct hit. Anything outside of coming up, you know, 10, you're sitting on it or anticipating. You know, that's it's very simple. But it's it's a that's that's the main thing is to to learn how to focus on the third yellow so you don't see the other two coming. I mean, so you, they're coming, but you don't pay attention to it. Focal vision is the key. So. I would say, and I'm not an instructor like you guys, but you need a psychiatrist for the starting line and you guys for the finish line. Okay. There are so many variables that are affecting a driver, I would think, on the starting line, what round this is. This is first round at a national event. Did the other driver just flicker the bulb? Did I just flicker the bulb? Am I at the right RPM? All this crap. Did I breathe? Am I breathing? Have I been holding my breath for the last two minutes? Like, you know, your your pulse rate, all this stuff is going to affect how you react to a third amber, right? Um, once you leave that starting line, though, I can't ever remember being nervous or, or what, I don't know what I do when I'm going down the track, but I know I'm not nervous anymore. So when I'm at the finish line, it's purely mechanical. Now, what can I see? What can I do? So like, as far as a starting line, I just feel like there's so much more that more variables that can affect your performance on the starting line. And like, do you guys teach all about that? Like the breathing techniques, how, how you keep a racer calm in a, in a tense situation. I mean, Jerry Emmons was going down the track for a world championship. I, probably would have had a stroke in the car. I mean, like, I don't know how you can control the emotions. I feel like that would be the biggest challenge on the starting line. Well, it's, it's a, there's, there's a lot involved, but what the main thing that we, we teach is that no round is any different than any other round, you know, and just, just from what you're saying, you're, you're putting a lot of emphasis on stuff that, you you shouldn't even be thinking about it doesn't it doesn't matter at that point once you are starting the stage nothing matters 
are you at the right RPM? Doesn't matter. <laughs> you, you have to go with what you're dealing with. Whatever you're at now, that's what you're, that it, it, it's either right or it's wrong. You can't concern yourself with it. That part's over. The, the, to decide whether it's right or wrong is beforehand. You have to, you have to figure out what you're going to leave at and that's it. You, you make your decision, you live with it. When you are going to hit the tree, there is nothing else in the world at that point except reacting to the ball, just focusing on your spot, and that's it. You find the spot on the tree that you're, you're targeting, and that's all you, all you concern yourself with. Everything else is just you know, clutter. It's all going to do nothing but get in the way. If, okay, so you're on the, you're on the, the line for a world championship. Well, it's either going to work or it's not. You can't change that. You can't make any difference. So you have to forget about that. The, the, the biggest thing I can tell just from the way you're talking, you don't put enough emphasis on your time runs. You're putting all your emphasis. You're, you're making your time runs and going through the motions. And you get into eliminations. Now it counts. Well, the time runs count. Time runs count just as much, if not more, because that's, your, that's where you find your setup. You have to put all your emphasis you, you need to put the most emphasis on your first run, first run at that track. That's where you put your most emphasis, because if you don't, now you're now you're trying to catch up the rest of the weekend. So you have to put world championship emphasis on your first time run. Now, everything else is going to be that same approach, that same mindset. It all counts. It's very important in how to go about not thinking about it when you're trying to hit the tree. It, whatever you've done is is up to that point is you know you you've agreed with it's it's something that you're you you your whole setup what rpm what you what lane what you're going to look at what you're you know everything that's all all done pre-run then when you go to make the run it's just execution there's nothing to think about you just do you know you can't change the outcome at that point the outcome is going to be whatever it is too many people put all their emphasis on whether you won or whether you lost that that doesn't tell anything about how you did it's it's your how did you execute on what you were trying to accomplish if you there we lee and i say it all the time there are there are uh good losses and bad wins okay if you set up to be 10 and you wanted to take 10 at the finish line and you do that and lose did you is it bad or did you do a good job? Now, if you're 50 and you took 60 stripe and you win, is that a good job? Now, yeah, you got the win and that's the only thing you can be happy with. That's a terrible job. I'm going to get you in trouble most of the time. And that's the difference. You, you need to be focusing on how you execute it. It's not about whether you win or lose. It's, it's too vague and too much out of your control. You can only you can only look at what you're trying to do and how well did I execute my plan. That's all you want to go for. And then how the pieces fall is how the pieces fall. You keep doing that round by round by round, starting with your first time run. Next thing you know, you are in the final for a championship. And now everything's on the line. But it won't matter because it's just the next round. Excellent. Sounds good. No, I wasn't coming to you as that's my problem. I'm just saying. No, I'm, I'm just. I'm just saying. It's such a that, mental. It's such a mental game, and you're going to have so many people come up to you that say, "I can't hit the tree. Maybe I'm not seeing it right." 
And I would think a lot of their problem is they're just not, like you said, they're not, it's how do you get people to focus? How do you get people to not, how do you get people to control their emotions is, is, is probably the hardest job for you guys. Like, Oh, it's, it's a, it is a tough job. And that's, uh, you know, you know, again, you know, I don't want to keep using Jerry on it, but just because that was kind of in the forefront right now, but you know, that was one of the biggest, you know, hurdles was for him was to control the emotion, you know, understanding, you know, what, what a number technically is, you know, you know, when we first started working together, I was like, you know, you know, what is it, what, you know, what kind of light you're looking for right now? You know, all right, 15 to 25, you know, be a, be a good hit, you know, okay. So if you go 005, is that good? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's good. You know, what about 35? No, I don't want to be 35, but you missed by the same amount. You missed 10,000 on the top side of what you're targeting. And, but if you missed on the good side of what you were targeting by 10,000, that was okay. So it was taking that and tightening the window up and tightening the target. And that's, that's where we got specific and it changed his whole demeanor as far as looking at, at the tree. You know, and and that was one of the the biggest switches to to focus on on a specific number because now it wasn't anything that anybody else was doing next to him. It didn't matter who was next to him, but because now he was so focused on that target because it was being specific. You know, I want you to be 12 on this run, and sure enough, you know, on one run I, I can't remember if it was Vegas or Pomona. You know, I said with this setup you should be 12, and I'll be damned if he didn't drop at 12. You know, and you know, and that was with adding weight to the car, I think. I think we added weight and kind of did an estimate as to what RPM we're going to need because we just added one from A to B and, you know, and all that. And, you know, and then he, you know, drops a 15 on the next one either, you know, but that was, that's where we're at. So it wasn't so much the people next to us anymore or what we got to get, you know, get through over there. It just comes down to, you know, racing against ourselves and what our specific target is. You know, just like Bud was saying, you know, you know, I I went into that 2008 championship on the Sydney of Ramona and, you know, you know, Kelly Wade, who had just started with NHRA, comes up and, you know, in the lanes, I think, for, you know, the, the second round or whatever, you know, and she wanted to know what kept me so calm. And here I am running Kevin Helms, you know, and it's like, well, I can only control what I'm doing. You know, this is, you know, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to set for this and I want to, you know, take this. You know, and if I do it, I can't lose. You know, my wind light may not go on, but, you know, I didn't lose. You know, and that was that was how I keep myself calm. And they said that's going back to 2004 and even before. And to this day, I still live by that that demeanor, you know, and I can control what I can control. Once I leave the starting line, I'm not even technically racing that person. I'm racing track position. I want to know what it looks like, you know, and now you know, did, did I make that the correct decision back before they cross that, that line back in the lanes before the, for the dialing? You know, that's, you know, the same thing as Bud was saying about hitting the tree. You know, once you've chosen that dial and crossed that line, you're committed. You know, now coming all the way up to the burnout box, unless you can make a, an adjustment after the burnout box when you come up and, you know, all right, the tree lighting changed slightly since the time I looked at it went back to my car. But now I'm up there, I can make a quick change possibly. Some maybe not. You know, some might have to be able to reach over and change the starting line RPM. You know, me on the foot brake a lot, I could make a split to second, split second decision. All right, 2700 <coughs> is not going to work here. I'm going to go 2800. 
you know, and, you know, and make that change. But, but no matter what the change is, once I start to stage the car, I'm committed to what it is. And it doesn't, you know, and again, it doesn't matter. But that's, that's something that, you know, I strive myself on keeping as calm as possible. You know, and, you know, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get into some, you know, tough situations where this race means a lot, you know, and, you know, but it's, it, it again, it's, it's still just a race. You know, we, you know, it's, uh, we can put so much emphasis on, you know, you know, so many things could go bad here, but what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, I finished number one or number two in the country. Damn, it sucks. I get it. But the, you know, Either way, I'm still doing something I love and enjoy, and that's and that's and we get away from that, and that's where you know where my calmness comes in, you know, and uh, you know I get to go racing, you know this is uh this is great, and you know there's no reason to get upset. I got parked in the mud. Well, ninety percent of us get parked in the mud. Who cares, <laughs> you know? And you know it doesn't matter, you know, or you know it took forever to get parked there, you know, you know. Whatever that you know, the the track shitty. Well, make the make the car work better, you know, and you know all that stuff. It's just uh, you know everybody wants to put blame or bitch about other things, but the grand scheme of things, I'm not at work and I'm racing here today and I'm enjoying this, you know. And you know you can tell me I got to park here, and as long as I'm not in a two foot deep puddle, you know, okay, you know, but can I move over a foot and get out of this? All right, that's all I'm asking, you know. And uh, right. but other than that, that's it is what it is. I want to ask, uh, something you touched on briefly is my mindset is I always want to be sub teens or double O every run. Why? And everybody's like, Oh, that's too hard. That's why, why would you not want to go that way? Like, am I just completely wrong or. It, well, it comes down to what you are comfortable with hitting. You know, if, if your window is not, you know, in that area, um, you know, for instance, you know, you know, you got, you know, you're setting up 10, but you could vary, you could drop it 25, you know, you know, so that's 15 thou the wrong way. So if you're setting up 10, you've obviously, you actually have five thou red in play, you know, if you go the wrong side of that. So in that same scenario means you can only set up 15 at best, you know, so now you're taking, bringing 30 into play by missing 15 thou on the top side or 15 thou on the other side, you're perfect. But, you know, that is a, it's a tough, tough thing to do, you know, and, you know, so it comes down to how we feel it. and it could change from week to week. And that's what we have to understand or feel in ourselves. You know, there's times where you can hit it and do no wrong. You know, when you set 12, it's 12. When you set eight, it's eight, you know, but there's, you know, more often than not, I'm going to set for 15 and, you know, maybe a 22 pops up. Okay. That shows me I got it. I got to work a little bit here because I, you know, and it's only seven thousands, but it shows that I can never set any tighter than 007 this weekend. You know, anything earlier than that, it's a miss. You know, now with me, with what I target, I give myself about plus or minus two thousands off of my target. It's a huge goal. I get that. You know, everybody's going to say that's too tight. You know, two thousands. You know, you're setting you know fifteen, so seventeen to, to thirteen is you know is acceptable with me. You know, that is a tough thing to do, but that is how specific we kind of need to be to be able to, to make those adjustments, uh, especially, you know, you know, top off racing, you know, the, you know, you're splitting hairs, you know, the, you know, and even any racing really right now, we're splitting thousands. So if I'm hitting a tree real well and I can modify that and, 
bring it down to a seven white, and then I've gone as far as in a bracket race, you know, set up seven and actually come up 50 RPM and set up three or four and drop it three or four, you know, and those are, those are very good days, but they don't happen all the time. So that's, there's those days where, you know, I go into a weekend, I'm looking for a 200s or tighter swing in any given weekend, but it's 200s or tighter swing based off of where I'm targeting. You know, if, you know, if you understand what I mean, you know, so if I'm, if I'm targeting that 10, you know, then I want to be tighter, but I may have moved it up to 15 or made it move it up to an 18 for this guy. And, you know, now 20 comes into play. So that's, that's how I, you know, put the pressure on myself to keep those windows tighter. You know, the guys that are, you know, trying to set up, you know, double O, you know, you got to have a tight window. You got, you can't, you know, you can't manipulate that because the, you know, the starting line will, will bite you. You know, it's like Bud was saying, this is, this is where races are, you know, they're, they're one there, you know, and it's, uh, it's the, it's the key part that all run. And if you can't set up double O, you know, knowing that you can be it and, you know, you're already hesitant and that's, and now you're going to, you know, now you're in trouble because, you know, you got to be 100% committed. The, the one, one thing with, with doing that is, once you do that, you have to be 100% focused because there is no room for error. There's no margin. You know, you you know, you go 005 and you leave everything alone the next round. So you're you're five again. You know, technically is what it should be. And but any little bit of misstep staging, if you come in just that tiniest little bit, if you see that glare just a tiny bit better, red is in play. You know, or you know. It gets you know darker and now it takes that five and moves it slower, which could benefit, but it changes where we're at. And that's that's how specific we have to be. You know, today's day and age, there's there's no room to allow people to, to sneak in on us. Right now, Lee and Bud, I want to put you guys in a situation here. So let's say you you uh ran um the time run in the morning or whatever, you went ten flat. And the opponent that you have to race right now, he went nine flat, we'll say. Okay, so now we think it's about two slower. You're putting your dial in, you're picking your dial in. So you think you could run a 10.02, you think he should probably run about a 9.02, we'll say. If you Do you wait for the opponent to put a dial in on the window before you put yours on, or are you focused? Do you have your strategy? Here you go, I'm putting 10.03 or 4, whatever you're putting on. Your opponent, who you think should run a 902, goes and puts like a 908 or a 910 on the window. Now you know that they are holding substantially. Does that change your game plan up, or do you now approach the water box with a different strategy, or I have to change up what I'm going to do here in this run? If you know your uh, opponent's like holding a lot like that, I'll grab this one real quick because I, you know, I know exactly where Bud's going to go with it. But uh, I'll just you know just kind of lead into it full four Bud because it's uh, you know there is no change. You know, when, when somebody does that, because they may have seen me put my dial in on the car. So, so let's go on it from the backside of it, of it. They see me put 10.05 on the car. You know, now they're going to dial up because they're going to change the track position. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I still know how to get rid of what I'm holding. You know, if they're going to dial up six, hopefully they know how to get rid of six. Because if you don't, you're in trouble. And... Now it comes down to track manipulation, and from there, I'll just I'll just throw this over to Bud because he's going to just uh, 
you know, feed on that. I'm kind of letting him feed in since he missed a little bit at the beginning. So. Yeah, for for uh, what I do is what we always tell everybody to do is you you stick with your strategy. Um, execution is what's most important. Um, it's it's there's no no real right or wrong strategy. Even in, even uh, you know uh, just just dial honest and hit the tree is not a bad strategy. You just have to execute it. Um, you can't leave any any room. Uh, so if your plan is to be double O and dial the car to be dead on. If you execute that, then there's nothing wrong with that strategy. You just have to execute it. Um, the problem with that strategy is you end up leaving leaving yourself open if you miss. So um, my strategy, um, I I hold a specific amount. Uh, it depends on the car, but <clears throat> um, the 10 car I used to drive, uh, I held 45000 um, because that's what I could get rid of in the car at a certain spot. So in this scenario you're you're talking about, uh, figure it's going 1002. I would have 1006 on the window and, and know that I could go dead five uh, on on my drop. I don't care what my opponent's doing. Um, he wants to dial up. Like Lee said, he's got to be able to kill it because I know I can. I'm going to execute my strategy. The only thing that seeing him dial up that much would do for me, uh, besides get me feeling comfortable that that you know puts it into my favor, um, because I know how to do it, does he? But I know if I see something where it's a close race up top, I know why it's a close race, because typically I should have you know four hundredths at the finish line against most opponents. Um, if I have less than that. I'm dropping, you know, because it's too close. Um, so if he's near me or even going to go past me, that that I know why, you know, okay, that's why it looks like this. Now let's say we go out there and I still have my my four hundred, so I'm getting there by, you know, or I'm getting there by five or six hundred. Well, then he dialed up because he's got a problem, you know, or you know, something something went wrong on his side. Um, I still have to execute my job and I got to make it tight because what if I picked up? So I'm going to, to, you know, kill the extra and make it as tight as I can, but I'm not changing anything based on what he's doing. I'm not going to put my eggs in his basket. You know, why, why rely on what I think he's doing? I know what I'm doing. I know what I want to see. And if I see this, I'm doing this. And if I see that, I'm doing that. And they're my two scenarios. And that's, that's all I'm looking for, and I'm basing off the track position. So I'm executing my strategy regardless of what my opponent's doing or who my opponent is, and that's that's how that's how I always go into it. Um, Lee tends to change it up sometimes, make a uh, little bit different strategy for who the person is or <clears throat> what he wants to show them. But I'm I'm more of I'm holding a bunch. This is what I'm holding. I'm doing it every time. I'll tell you how much I'm holding. What are you going to do about it? You know, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it doesn't change anything. You, you now know I'm holding 45. What are you going to do that I'm holding 45? That doesn't, you know, you, you can't manipulate something on my side. And that's, that's how, that's how we go about it. Yeah. We get a, a lot of people that I ask us like, like driving, this specific way 
you know, like, you know, with the, the stalker running the eighth mile, I was holding 500s down at Piedmont last year at the, at the bracket race. And that was what I could get rid of in the eighth mile. Granted, you know, I'm only going 89 tops, you know, so I had a drop that would knock me down to 82 miles per hour, but I could get rid of about 50, 52,000, you know, and so by, by doing that is like, well, how do you know what you're doing down there? And, you know, you know, what are you going to do from this run? Are you going to hit the drop or are you going to pedal? And to be honest, we don't have a clue. We have no idea once we leave that starting line as to what we were doing yet until we see it happening or playing out on the track. Because, you know, like Bud had mentioned, if he has room, we're just going to pedal off and back into him. But if there's less room, it's going to the drop, you know, and try to get it to dead on that way. So it's, you know, again, we have no idea. When we're staging this car, we have no idea if we're going to pedal it off or drop. You know, it just that word, you know, like I said, just backing in us into the opponent. And it's it's real. It's you know, because now we're just reading what we see. And you know, again, based off of what Bud just said, if they're close, it's a drop. You know, if they're gonna get there, it's a drop. If I have more room, I'm gonna pedal off and just drive into them. But you know, it's a it's an unknown, you know, and it's it's crazy to say that, you know, because everybody's like I have a game plan ready. Well, I have a game plan ready, but it's all dependent upon what I see you know, progressing, you know, what's this movie looking like, like we have, you know, at, you know, what, what are the snapshots looking like? You know, you sent me four different snapshots because I'm being chased, but, you know, that snapshot ain't looking good, but it's looking like a drop to me, but it's, uh, so hopefully I'm right. And, and that's all it comes down to. It's understanding what you're seeing and, you know, executing perfectly like we all try to do, you know, because, you know, there's times where I will dial honest, you know, and, you know, the car is doing, doing well and, I'll let the car do the work. And that's funny, like, you know, especially in stock, super stock, a lot of guys like, oh, he's always holding three. You know, they don't know that. You know, it's, you know, that's what I do majority of the time. But there's times where, you know, the person goes red and I run it out and go dead on, you know, flat out. You know, and then if they're like, whoa, wait a minute, what did you, you know, I can dial the car, you know, because I have to. I'm dialing the car just as tight as anybody that's, die on the car to be honest even though i'm holding it's based off of that what we can get rid of so that's that's how we uh that's how, the, how we play our game you know it's uh you know it's not a just you know throw a number on there wing it and, you know unless we're having an issue and i have to dial the index so you know that's a you know that's a story for the, for that but but that's the way it works it's have a game plan but be fluid and adaptable at the same time see what's going on then make a decision is basically what, what you're trying to convey to the students then. Well, it's, it's not about the, not about being fluid. You have, whatever your game plan is, you have to, you have to execute that game plan. It has to be whatever, whatever, uh, whatever you set up to be. Um, you can't throw your game plan out the window when you're going down track because it doesn't look like what you want it to look like, you know? It's that's that's going to be that's going to be a that's going to set you up for a real problem. You're, you're going to end up uh, making a, a bad decision, you know, based on, you know, you, you didn't want it to to look like that. You know, um, you, you you still have to execute based on what you set up to be. If it's if you misdialed the car and you're wrong, like, let's say you think you're holding three, you go down there and you drop and you kill three. OK, to go three over. Okay, you can't look at the time slip and say, 
oh, well, I should have dialed honest, you know, or, you know, oh, I should have, I should have just run it out because I wasn't, I wasn't holding free. So what you're really saying is you should have done the wrong thing, you know, because the car did something different. You as a driver have to have to continue to drive and execute what you saw, what you set up to do. So you can't have you, you can't throw it out the window or, or say you should have thrown it out the window because, you know, doing the wrong thing would have gotten you the win. You you need to go back and realize that it was your dial that was wrong. You you need to go back and and you know we we say all the time about switching hats. You need to switch hats and become the crew chief and figure out where you where you missed in the dial. The crew chief gave you the wrong information. He gave the driver the wrong wrong info. Driver did everything he was supposed to do. You have to separate those those items to know where you're at. You you can't manufacture the win in other words you can't you know make it happen um you can only do what you're supposed to do we, we stress this a lot so it's doing all of your details correctly you as a driver did everything right the the, the win wasn't going to happen because of other problems you follow what i'm saying right so the the dialing being the being the problem that's that's where you have to go and focus and find out where it went wrong so you do have to be rigid in staying with your your strategy what lee and i are saying about the fluidity in our strategy is it's a twofold part it's it's based on what you're seeing if you see this you're going to do this if you see this you're going to do it's like a like play action football or you know you're you're you may hand off you may you may pass depends on what what you see what you see on the line you know it's the same kind of thing we're set up to be holding x amount how we get rid of it or what we decide to do is going to be based on the track position if we have more than what we're what we should be holding we have to believe that uh oh the car picked up so forget trying to kill a specific amount we have to make it as tight as we can because we no longer know how much we're holding most of the time we come back and find out that it was the other person that that gave us extra room they were laid on the trigger. Their car wasn't running the number. That's why we had the extra, the extra room. But there are the, the the times where the car did pick up unexpectedly, and getting rid of the extra allows you to pull the race off. So you follow what I'm saying? That's it. Our the strategy we're talking about is a is a twofold plan. But everything else, you're you're going out there, you're dialing, um, you know, to be holding three. You've got to get rid of your three and, and that's it. And that's how you do it. You're going, you're setting up to drop. You're going to go down there. You're going to drop on this fast car because he won't be able to judge you. Then you stick with that regardless. That's what you're going for. That's how you have to go after that plan. If you're, if you were wrong in the dial or you were late on the tree, then that's the part you have to address. It's not the strategy that was, that was wrong. You executed correctly. It was it was the other part that, that needs attention. So how do our listeners find you guys? Like what else? How do we get more information on your program? Uh, with our with our program, but you know, a lot of it is through uh, through Facebook. Uh, you can you know, go through the there's a uh, McNasby Zane Drag Race Consulting slash 101 page. Uh, we get uh, messages through there, or you can message you know myself or Bud you know directly you know through Facebook. Uh, 
you know, and I've had no problem, Nick, you know, if you got in touch with you guys or whatever, you know, we put our phone numbers out there, email, any of that. And, you know, we have people call us directly, you know, and, um, you know, see how the program works. And, you know, we, we cater to each individual. You know, there's nothing, you know, we have, we have a general program, but we cater to each individual's needs, you know, to, uh, to, to take that next step, get you, you know, you know, like we said in the beginning, you know, it may be a finish line that you come in for, but we may find out that there's some starting line we got to work on or, or help with weather prediction, you know, and you know, again, going back to, you know, there's so many doors, you know, you go through that, that room and opens up to many other doors and, you know, there's doors open up to more doors. And so it's, so everybody thinks there's just one thing, you know, one or two things that can just kind of, kind of piece the puzzle together, but, um, but uh, there's always, always so much more, but, but any of those out, you know, that outlet there definitely on Facebook gets us, you know, can get you in touch with us. And uh, so have no problem leaving our phone number with anybody or, you know, post, you know, below here. And, you know, if they want to reach out to us directly by phone, that's fine too. All right. Well, we thank you guys for joining us. The time was just flying by, man. I just, uh, <laughs> I only had about 12 more questions, but anyways, um, now we really appreciate you guys coming on. We will post, I'll find the uh, link to the Facebook page and we can uh, get that up there for the listeners uh, to get a hold of you guys. And uh, it's been educational. It's been fun, bud. Thanks for coming in there. Uh, appreciate you joining us. And uh, Lee, can't wait to see you out there next year in the Buick Apollo. And um, good luck in your uh, plans for, for, I'm saying next year. It's actually this year now because it's 2022. So Good luck to you guys, and I uh, hope your school keeps thriving. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. We we uh, we definitely appreciate it, and uh, yeah, the um, yeah, what you guys are doing has been uh, been phenomenal, and uh, yeah, we definitely like uh, I like to watch it and like to see uh, see the new things that you're bringing in there, and the, uh, you know, I got to work on getting myself up the uh, up the uh, the stat sheet that you've been building there with the uh, the insight. <laughs> so I got to. Yeah, try to get myself back in that. Uh, you kind of slacked off a little bit here, but uh, you know, if you could, if you can stat my 2001 to 2008, that would be, you know, probably some pretty good stats there. But uh, we're not going uh, back that far yet. Yeah, but you did, you did pick on or point on something that I am doing. Um, searching like reaction time by time of day, so the night time, as you said earlier, somebody who struggled at night, you can see how the racer does at night versus the daytime. So. That's all going to be in the in the Drag Insights app as as we keep working. But uh, yeah, great. we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, great. Because I got a little secret for that that uh, nighttime stuff too, but I'm not giving that away. They got to sign <laughs> up for that. One. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you, and uh, you know, have a great 2022. Thank you, guys. Uh, greatly appreciate. It. Thanks for thanks for having us on, and uh, good luck to you guys this season. Perfect. Thanks, Brandon, Bobby. Bud and Lee, have a great uh, great day. ClassRacingToday.com. ClassRacingToday at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments or want to help support the show. You can send an email there or you can go to the website, ClassRacingToday.com and click on Donate Today and decide what kind of value you got out of the show and give it back to us so we can continue these conversations with people in the race industry. Thanks again, Kenwood Welding and Metalizing for your support. Go to app.draginsights.com to, uh, to register for your free account track yourself and your competition thanks a lot have a great day we'll see you next time happy new year everybody see you later